Today's episode of Carson Sack is brought to you by Quaker Oats. I ate Quaker Oats for 30 days and took my cholesterol down 13 points. Quaker Oats warms your heart and soul. Quaker Oats also wants me to talk about Quaker Oatmeal Breakfast Squares. Oatmeal with all of a bowl of instant oatmeal. See why these Quaker Oatmeal Breakfast Squares are so filling. It'll be something to smile about. I guarantee it. Today's episode is also brought to you by Red Lobster. It's time to pick favorites at Red Lobster. Choose freshly baked breaded shrimp, juicy shrimp scampi, or one of our bold new tastes. Mix and match any two dozen for only $9.99. Two dozen shrimp is also just $9.99. Now at Red Lobster. Hit that ish. Before we dive into any of this, I would just like to apologize for the poor audio quality on this one. My microphone broke. Very unexpected. I'm recording this on Tuesday. I didn't have a lot of time to go get a microphone, so next week's audio will be better. I just want to give you a heads up and apologize for some poor audio quality in this episode. So with that out of the way, welcome to Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. This is the 18th episode, and we are back in the sack, ready to go, ready to make some noise, cause a little havoc. So the two big things we're going to talk here, college football last week, the first one of the year, be a little honest, it was an oak. K first weekend of the season. And we also got to talk about the boys that are playing on Sunday and Mondays, the NFL. Before we hop head first into all of that, I want to introduce a new segment here to the podcast, and it's going to be another play on words. I would like to introduce you to the segment called Blue Balls. Pretty much what this is going to be is a team that was upset, a team that was up big in the game that ended up losing. Just, you know, Regular blue balls. Hopefully you've never experienced those in your life. If so, this is what translates to it in the sports world. The first one, we go out west, and it's UNLV, the running Rebels. They took on Howard. Not a lot that I know about Howard, but I did know UNLV was a 40-point favorite in this game. I'm going to say that again for you. That's 4-0, 40 points. Who ends up winning that game? Howard does, 43-40. to 40. That's a major case of blue balls for the running Rebels, if you ask me. The next blue balls, it's pretty obvious. It was the game of the weekend, in my opinion, and a lot of other people's. Texas A&M blowing a 34-point lead to UCLA and Josh Rosen. It You could look at it either way. You could look at it Texas A&M blowing it or UCLA and Rosen winning it. I'm going to look at UCLA winning it because Rosen played out of his mind. His receivers in the first half weren't contributing. There was no run game. And then Rosen just takes over in the second half. While UCLA did win the game, Texas A&M had a pimp stick on the sideline. So, I mean, I'm going to give it to him. That's pretty freaking cool. But the pimp stick in the end... Couldn't help out the Aggies. And they got blue-balled this week. So now we're going to dive right into the NCAA football talk. And I'm going to start with the two hometown teams, UK and UofL. First one I want to talk about is UK. They played at Southern Miss. Granted, UK did win 24-17, but 
if they expect to win as many games as it's being talked about that they could this year, the lot the players they have to step up, Steven Johnson, Benny Snell, they're all gonna have to play better. Johnson was only eleven of twenty for hundred and seventy six yards and a touchdown. Snell, who had the amazing freshman year last year, he only had sixty seven yards on twenty carries. Luckily, C.J. Conrad, the tight end, Mr. Consistency, only threw receptions, but he turns that in for 97 yards and a touchdown. It was a sloppy game in the first half. It was even more sloppy, I feel like, in the second half, but U.K. made the adjustments and got a very intense, hard-fought win this week to open the season at 1-0. The next hometown team we look at is the U of L Cardinals. They win another tough Hard-fought game, 35-28 over Purdue. Jeff Brown, the new head coach at Purdue. Not really a lot of offensive firepower from them, which are what they're normally noted for. Teams coached under him. Big story, though, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson compiled over 485 total yards, uh, 378 through the air, two touchdowns. He was also the leading rusher for the cards, 107 yards on the ground. What? I think the reason the game was close is UofL was kind of shooting themselves in the foot over and over. They had two fumbles, almost three, on the goal line within the 10 yards, too, with uh, Bonifons. He could have fumbled it uh, from the 10-yard touchdown run that he had. Also, they had a ton of penalties. They had five false starts and other things like that. It's just stuff like that that you need to clean up and whatnot. And, I mean, we all know how costly UofL turnovers, fumbles can be, don't we? Now that the people from Kentucky will be happy that I talked about their teams, we can now look at other games from around the country. First game, probably the biggest one of the weekend, but it didn't live up to the height. You had number three, FSU, going up against number one, Alabama. The story of this game really to me is Alabama's defense. They did so well. Special teams Again, for Alabama, really good. If they can get the offense going, which they had a little trouble, a little slow at times, but that defense is going to be good all year. I can guarantee it. Alabama just reloads year after year with talent, no matter how many guys that go to the draft. Their special teams, that's a facet of the game that some people overlook, but if you can get good field position, hold people inside their 25, stuff like that, that adds up to help win games. The other big news from this is Florida State's quarterback, Francois, he's out for the year with a knee injury. I hate to see that. I like him a lot as a quarterback. What Florida State now has to do probably is start a true freshman quarterback with kind of the same intangibles as Francois, a good arm, um, mobile, can run the ball well, but in the ACC, that's going to be tough to expect a true freshman to just step in and be as successful as the sophomore with so much game experience and leadership abilities as Francois. Also on the Alabama side of the ball on offense, all year people have been talking about Bo Scarborough as maybe a Heisman contender and stuff, but last week I mentioned it. Damian Harris is a great running back that's going to get time and get snaps. He only had nine carries, but he had 73 yards and a touchdown. He is going to be a handcuff for Bo all year, but he's a great running back too. Like, neither of them are bad. Most teams only have one good running back, but it's Alabama. But they have so much depth at so many positions and so many good players at so many positions. And luckily for them, running back happens to be one of those. 
The next game we can look at from this weekend is also another battle between two top 25 teams where Michigan, number 11, took on the Florida Gators. Like I said last week, Florida had a lot of suspensions. Michigan, what their big question for the whole season is how they're going to replace 10 starters on defense. Michigan held Florida only 17 points. I do want to attribute that to them not having their number one receiver and trying to work in a new quarterback as well. But William Spate for Michigan had a below average day for what I expected. Only 181 yards and a touchdown, but two interceptions. And if they want to contend for the Big Ten title and have any aspirations of making the playoff, he's going to have to play better. And I expect he will because Harbaugh, coach him up, talk to him, get him reading defensive better. But a very disappointing week one from him. The next big game to look at, and it was a great game itself, again, top 25 battle. You had West Virginia, 22nd in the country, going up against Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech. And the big story here was Josh Jackson, the freshman, true freshman quarterback for Virginia Tech. Not only did he have 235 335 yards to the air and a touchdown. He also led the team in rushing for Virginia Tech with 11 carries, 101 yards, and a Big rushing touchdown late in the game. West Virginia did play well. I was super excited to hear Will Greer, Nash Greer, shout out to Vine, his brother. He played a hell of a game. 371 yards, three touchdowns. He did throw an interception, but at Florida, his talent never really got shown. He didn't live up to his potential. I think at West Virginia, though, he really is going to finally live up to the potential. And Mountaineer fans are going to be really happy with him throughout this season. The last game I'm really going to get into and break down is going to be, it was the game that opened the college football season, really. You had number two Ohio State going to unranked Indiana, and it was a really close game. I got to say, though, it's probably because Indiana was at home. They had a lot of energy from the crowd, and I mean, going into the second half at halftime, they were up 14-13 at half, but... The adjustments that Ohio State's coaches made at half really showed in the second half. Indiana only scored one touchdown in the second half after the receivers were burning Ohio State's cornerbacks the entire first half. On the other hand, though, I think that's going to be the best corps of receivers that Ohio State's going to play all year. And so many of those guys had never played meaningful snaps, and they had to replace three starters that went to the NFL last year so you got to give them a little bit of a break I was really excited to see Denzel Ward in the second half and pretty much some of the first half I understand number one for Indiana kind of did burn him a couple times in the first half but the second half he held him in check didn't have a touchdown or anything like that so it shows that the coaching and players if they need to can step up big if it's called upon also, if you're a Buckeyes fan, you got to be super excited about the true freshman J.K. Dobbins. He was the first true freshman since Maurice Claret to start in the first game of the year. He didn't have any touchdowns, but he got fed the rock 29 times, which in the past, Ohio State really hasn't given star running backs as many touches as I think they should and expected. He had 29 carries. That's Oh, that's a good number. That's a big number, and that's something I want to see instead of JT Barrett draws and stuff like that. I want to see good running backs, hard-running running backs, get balls like that. He had 29 carries for 181 yards, and he showed a lot of shiftiness, a lot of power. I wish he could have gotten into the end zone just once to highlight and cap off his freshman debut. 
What this does now is kind of introduces a bit of a problem, I feel like, with Mike Weber, the starter last year. I still personally think he should be the starter. I like him, but it's going to be interesting to see how Urban Meyer splits time between them. But if any coach in the country can handle managing time and seeing who will play better, if you look back at Urban's career at Florida, Tim Tebow, Chris Leak, he has done it before so I think in big situations like this where running back is you could say maybe the second important second most important position on the team I think he'll be able to understand and how to work in both of these guys throughout the year so they both are productive and help the team win okay okay also want to touch on one other thing for Ohio State one of their big things was JT Barrett's passing ability and whatnot. And people throughout the game were saying he needs some help from his receivers. And I totally agree that. I've never thought of it that way. But if you don't have good receivers, big playmaking ability, stuff like that, you're not going to be able to show off all your talents as a quarterback. And a big guy that came through for the Buckeyes in the second half was Parrish Campbell. He had six receptions for the game, 136 yards and one touchdown. He took a pass over the middle, made some people miss, and ran it in, I think, for about a 50 or 60-yard touchdown. And you love to see, I do as an Ohio State fan, the big playmaking ability from receivers that have been missing the past two years, kind of. Now, these next few games, I'm not going to dive really into it, but I'm going to get that started with Maryland defeating, upsetting number 23 Texas 51-41 in Tom Herman's first game as the Texas head coach. What it shows is, yeah, you can be a great coach, but it takes some time to implement your style of coaching, your style of play. I don't think Texas is really going to have a bad year. There's going to be some growing pains for them, but I think Herman, within the next couple years, if Texas can give him a chance, which they haven't really been doing with coaches in the past couple years, I think they'll be more than fine. The next game here, you have the fifth-ranked defending national champions, the Clemson Tigers, putting a, open a can of whoop-ass pretty much. 56-3, they beat Kent State. The big news here is the quarterback question that Clemson had going on was answered. Bryant for them, he had 236 yards. He had a touchdown. Granny had an interception, but I really like how he played. He adds a big dynamic to the team with being able to scramble, just like Deshaun Watson did. Him being able to get out of the pocket and be a threat with his legs. Clemson fans should be really excited about this Bryant kid. The last game I'm going to touch on from the first weekend, Appalachia State went to Georgia, 15th in the country. Georgia wins 31-10, but the big thing from this game is Jacob Eason hurt his left knee. He's out for the year or for the nearable future. He he had 143 yards and a touchdown. Nick Chubb had 96 yards and two touchdowns. You got to be happy with that, but Georgia fans, going to be real hard for them to come back from the Easton injury. Though their defense is going to be able to keep them in games, their running game with Chubb and Marshall, they're going to be able to, I think, adjust their style of play to play Hard defense, good defense, and be the type of team that likes to control the clock, run it down teams' throats, and like that with the exit of such a talented quarterback like Eason. Now, it's great to look back at the week, but you always got to be looking ahead. So we're going to talk about some big games now for week two of the college football season. To me, I think the biggest one here is going to be number five, Oklahoma, going to number two, Ohio State. The game's at the horseshoe in Columbus. I think Ohio State is going to be able to dominate the ball on both sides 
just playing a good defensive game. Hopefully they can contain Baker Mayfield. If they can do that, I feel like that offense is a little one-dimensional and they rely on him a little too much. But Baker Mayfield's my Heisman candidate. This could be a Heisman type game for him that they can look back and say wow this is his Heisman moment hopefully that's not true it's going to take a big game from JT Barrett in this one it's going to take a big game from the receivers for Ohio State as well and like I said before I'm pretty interested to see how Urban Meyer is going to handle the two running back system but in the end I think Ohio State is going to pull off a hard-fought win and beat the Sooners to move to 2-0 on the year the next game on the slate it's a pretty big one 15th-ranked Georgia going to Notre Dame, 24th in the country. A couple unproven quarterbacks here for Georgia and Notre Dame. I think both teams are going to rely on their defensive and their running game. Nick Chubb, like I said, 96 yards, two touchdowns. But Adams for Notre Dame had 19 carries, 161 yards, and two touchdowns. I think it's going to be a pretty low-scoring game, but a good game. In the end, though, Georgia's my sleeper pick for the year. I understand Easton is out. I didn't I wasn't disappointed by the quarterback play for Georgia. It's a hard situation to step into, but the kid's a five-star recruit as well, so he's played in big games. He's got a lot of upside. I'm going to take Georgia in this one in a low-scoring game. And then the last game, we're going to go out west here. You got the 14th-ranked Stanford Cardinals. I don't really understand that though. Their mascot is a tree. Hopefully someone can explain that to me at some point. Going to USC, the 6th ranked Trojans. I really like the matchup of quarterback here. Uh, Stanford's quarterback, Chris, doesn't get enough notoriety for how good he plays. He's better than a game manager, but he's not elite. He puts up solid numbers, 200 to 250 to 200 or so yards each week. Two touchdowns normally. Doesn't throw a lot of interceptions, but Sam Darnold... At USC, he's getting all the hype this year. He's a Heisman favorite, all this. He was a little disappointing, though, in the first game, if we're being honest. He didn't even reach 300 yards. Granted, he was only 11 yards short of that, but two interceptions, you can't have that against a weak team like USC played in the first week. In the end, I think the home field advantage for the Trojans is going to be more than enough to beat the Stanford Cardinals that week, but I do expect it to be a close game, but... In the end, Trojans pull it off. Now that we took care of the kids, the kiddos that play on Saturdays, we can finally get into a little NFL talk. She's almost back, the NFL season. It's going to get started September 7th, so only a day away with the Chiefs going to the Patriots. Chiefs lose their starting running back, but they have a lot of talent. They have two good running backs that can step in. Obviously, one's a rookie, though, so you don't know how his game's going to translate to the NFL, but I really believe in him. On the other side of the ball, the Patriots, some people even predict them to go 19-0, but that was before Julian Edelman was lost for the year. But somebody that isn't getting a lot of talk because they're all very worried about Rob Gronkowski, Deion Lewis, Danny Amendola. Danny Amendola doesn't play a lot of snaps, honestly. He'll probably play 
15 to 20, and that's not a lot. There's some hype around Rex Burkhead as well, but somebody that's getting lost in the shuffle here is Chris Hogan. He had a great year last year, great postseason, good Super Bowl. He's been in the offense for a while with Tom Brady. Obviously, if he's going to perform in the playoffs, Tom Brady trusts him. He's going to probably slide into the number two spot. Hopefully, I mean, Brandon Cooks will be there, and Amendola will probably be there, but I think over time, Hogan's just going to show how good of a player he is consistently and is going to slide in and be the number two receiver in New England. In this game, I think it's just going to be a little bit little bit too much for the Chiefs to overcome. I think they keep Brady somewhat in check, but you give Belichick and Brady and that team a whole offseason to prepare for this. I mean, yes, Andy Reid is on the other side of the ball. They have a lot of talent too, Alex Smith, Tyreek Hill, and their defense is very solid, but in the end, I think the Patriots win this one by 7 to 10 points, a good game, but in the end, Patriots are going to come out on top in Foxborough. The next game, I'm not even going to waste my time on it. This is just a public service announcement. For the love of God, people, do not watch the Jets at the Bills. That game is going to be so shitty. Honestly, just get me a camera or cameras for the Bills Mafia tailgates because that's going to be way more entertaining than this game. If I have to pick, sure, the Bills are win. Sure. I mean, Tyrod Taylor's a better quarterback than whoever the hell the Jets are going to start. They're starting on McCowan, I think. They have no receivers. Obviously, they just got Jermaine Crest from the Steel from the Seahawks. My apologies. But they traded away Sheldon Richardson, who's a hell of a defensive tackle, probably top three in the game. Just I just don't watch the game. I'm not going to. You shouldn't subject yourself to that type of punishment either. Another big game, and I don't think it's getting enough hype, is the Falcons against the Bears. What I'm most interested in this game is to see how the Falcons are going to respond after blowing the huge 28-3 lead last year in the Super Bowl. Is there going to be a Super Bowl hangover? Normally, a Super Bowl hangover is for the victors of that, but that can mess with a team's mind. I mean, Matt Ryan's still there. Both running backs are still there. Julio Jones is there. Mohamed Sanu is still there. A lot of the team is still there, and their head coach is still there. So I'm interested to see how they respond to doing that last year in the Super Bowl. In the end, though, I don't think the uh, Bears are good enough to win this game. I'm hoping that Mitchell Trubisky shows that he can progress and get better over the year because I like him as a player. But in this one, first start in the NFL, I'm going to go with the uh, Falcons. The next game we look at is a pretty big game. It's a divisional game in the AFC North, and you know how difficult that is to win in that division. It's the it's the Ravens. I keep wanting to say Falcons. I'm sorry. It's the Ravens going to the Bengals. My whole thing for the Bengals this year is Andy Dalton really needs to take that next step to become an elite quarterback in the league. He's on the cusp, I really feel like, and what can really help him do that is uh, Ross stepping up at receiver, complimenting A.J. Green, and also if Tyler Eifert can stay healthy and have and have and Dalton will have that safety valve across the middle, I really think that'll help. What I'm also interested to see is how Marvin Lewis and that coaching staff handles the three-headed monster at running back. What I think is going to happen, I think Giovanni Bernard is going to kind of slide through the cracks, fall through the cracks, and 
just get forgotten about, which sucks because he's a great running back. I feel like he runs hard. He can catch balls out of the backfield. He's a good pass blocker, too, on third down. But I think Mixon might be a little better than that, even though he hits women. I mean, I don't care how well you perform on the field. If you hit a woman, you're the lowest scum of the earth. But another thing I'm interested in is to see how Jeremy Jeremy Hill is going to respond to the uh, crowded backfield. He had a great rookie year, has gone downhill after that. I think he returns to that rookie year form, has a great year. I'm thinking 10 to 11 touchdowns, honestly. And I think Mixon is going to be a very good complimentary back to him. Mixon will have a good year, but I think Jeremy Hill is going to assert himself and make sure he is the starter all year. So in the end, I think the Bengals end up winning this game, getting a big win against the Ravens for the AFC North. The next game we look at is another divisional game, but this one is the NFC East. You look at the Eagles going to the Redskins. Both of these teams aren't really sure about the running back situation, so I'm not really going to touch on that. What I am going to touch on is Terrell Pryor. Hopefully he can develop a relationship with Kirk Cousins because if he does, that's going to be very dangerous combo for the entire NFC, not just the NFC East. The Eagles, I'm going to hopefully, we can all hopefully see Carson Wentz take more of a progression this year and become a better quarterback than he was last year. And I mean, he was a very good quarterback last year. In the end, though, I'm going to take the Eagles in this game. I just think Carson Wentz is going to find a way to win this. There's two other games I'm going to touch on here, so bear with me. The next one is the Seahawks at the Packers. The Packers, their running situation, I mean, they have Ty Montgomery. I'm interested to see how they're going to work him into that. Also, Jordy Nelson, Aaron Rodgers, that combination is always gold. Randall Cobb, he's decreased a little bit, but I still think he's a valuable guy in the slot for the Packers. On the other side of the ball, the Seahawks. Russell Wilson will be there. Obviously, Doug Baldwin, he'll be there. Jimmy Graham, apparently he has had a great summer, had a great training camp, had a great OTAs as well. So I'm interested to see how him and Russell Wilson have progressed their chemistry. It took a while for them to develop one last year, but I think it has happened. I think Jimmy Graham's poised for a good year. As always, the Seahawks defense is going to be nasty. They're going to be raw. And they just got Sheldon Richardson to compliment Michael Bennett up front. Sherman on the outside. And Chancellor back in the secondary. Going to be hell raisers. Also, my only concern with the Seahawks is their running game. I mean, yes, they brought in Eddie Lacy. Not as good as a running back as Marshawn Lentz. But people are trying to compare the two. I just, I just don't think you can. Thomas Rawls is also there, and so is CJ Prosize. It's just a lot of questions there. I think they'll be able to develop a situation and a scheme where it'll all work for them over time, but it's going to take a while. Um, I'm going to take the Packers here. I just think Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau, first game of the year. It's hard to bet against them, honestly, so I'm going to take the Packers over the Seahawks and probably the best game of the first weekend. The last game we're going to look at for week one is a big one. Another NFC East battle. You got the Giants, the G-Men, going to Jerry's world to face the Cowboys. And breaking news to me and the sack and all you listeners, Ezekiel six-game suspension has been upheld. I think that's pretty bullshit. I don't know the whole legal process with this restraining order or not. If he can't play, that's okay. Their offensive line, Darren McFadden, Alfred Morris... 
Rod Smith as well. I think they'll be able to still move the ball, complement Dak Prescott with the play action. He'll be able to find open guys like Des Bryant, Bryce Butler, Cole Beasley, guys like that. The Giants, on the other hand, are really lacking a running game. They have for the past couple years. Paul Perkins, he's their best option. He's got some good upside. He's a dynamic runner. What the big news is for the Giants was the addition of Brandon Marshall in the offseason. That just bolsters their already amazing receiving core with Odell Beckham Jr. and Sterling Shepard, who I think he's going to get lost in the shuffle, but he's going to make enough big plays this year and crucial plays, I feel like, that he's going to be appreciated. At times, he'll be underappreciated, but I think in the biggest moments, he's somebody you can look at and trust. Plus, you got to think... Everybody's eyes will be on Odell for that. Brandon Marshall, people will be looking at him because he's the veteran. But Sterling Shepard, big moments, stuff like that, on an and on a game to day, game to game basis, is just going to be able to slide under the radar, put up good numbers, and more than likely come up big in a few situations this year. And now I'm just going to talk a few other balls. First off, the Indians have won 11 games in a row. That's pretty big time. They're my World Series pick. Some things to look at. Corey Kluber has been amazing this year. Another big thing, uh, they just added a couple weeks ago, Jay Bruce. He's been pretty solid. Lindor has been solid. The big news and the best player on this team, which a little surprising, is Jose Ramirez. He is playing so well. I'm really happy to see it. The Indians can go really far and possibly win the World Series if they can get more production out of the rest of the rotation. Tomlin, he was good last season. Bauer, you remember him? He was the one that loves drones. He's doing all right. Salazar and Carrasco, if they can get one of those two, two out of those four, hopefully, to just be better and provide some death for that rotation, they can be really good and have a really big shot at winning the World Series. And then the other last thing I want to touch on before I wrap this up is Justin Thomas just won his fifth PGA Tour event of 2017 season. That's big time. It takes a lot to win five events, and one was a major with the PGA Championship. He's in good position to win the FedEx. He's got the most points now. If you do win the FedEx as a golfer, you win $10 million. That, I'll say it one more time, $10 million. Granted, it's paid to you out a million dollars a year, over $10 million, but a million dollars a year, that's nothing to scoff at. Also, I think this win just cements his case that he's going to be the golfer of the year, and that's also a really big deal. Shout out, Sanex, we just produce winners. Justin Thomas, I had lunch with him one time, so great guy, and hopefully... FedEx champion, already a major champion, and hopefully the golfer of the year for 2017. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to bring this episode, number 18 of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls, we always do, to a close. I understand this might be a little bit shorter than last week's. Um, Don't think I'm trying to skip out on you, just trying to get my delivery and quickness down a little bit. I understand it's an easier listen with shorter podcasts, so I'm just going to try and do that as well. When there is more to talk about, I will talk about that. I'll cover everything. Don't you worry about that. Just a little teaser for next week. I'm going to introduce a new segment on top of the segment Blue Balls that I introduced for this episode. The next one, next week's, it's going to be Girls on Balls. Keep it in your pants. It's not what it sounds like. I'm going to be interviewing a few of my friends that are girls that 
I honestly don't know their extensive sports knowledge. I don't know if they know anything or if they know nothing. I really don't. We're going to talk about that, and we're also going to rank the five most handsome men in sports. I'll be participating in that. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say I'm comfortable with my sexuality, and I can recognize a handsome man. So we're going to get their input on that, my input on that. It's going to be a great show next week. Thank you for listening to Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. And as always, we will be seeing you.